And they that had eaten were about 5,000 besides uh, women and children. And straightway Jesus commanded his, uh, constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him into the, into the other side while he sent them, uh, sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into the mount apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed and with the wave, waves, with, uh, for the winds were contrary. And in the fourth of watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were uh, troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to, G uh, to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the winds ceased. Then they which were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came unto the land of Gesenner. I can't even say that. Say it for me. Just center it. I will hear it and I could say it. But then sometimes it just it doesn't come out. But then at verse 34, and when they were gone over, they came unto the land of Gesenaret. Didn't even say it again. And when the men of that place had no knowledge of him, they sent out unto all that country around about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garments. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for the for today and the opportunity, Father, Lord, to come to church and to also to deliver a message. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bless. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for all coming, even coming back after you heard that I was preaching. Um, even I have a friend over here sitting behind my wife, a couple of friends, uh, um, the Logans. They uh, used to go to our church um, in, in, in uh, uh, Boise. And so they, uh, um, they, they heard I was preaching. I don't know why they came back, but uh, I, I appreciate that. And we keep in touch, and they come to our house um, and, and uh, spend time when we fellowship. So you, you got to give me your address. He moved since then, so, but anyway. But experience, what, what kind of experience will you have as a walk with Jesus Christ? Here, here we have... Uh, uh, the disciples, even Jesus said, uh, even more than once, uh, talked about their faith. Ye of, O oh, ye of little faith. What, where is our faith at this time with our walk with Christ? And some of us have been saved a few years. Some of us have been saved a long time. Our, we should be able to look back and see our faith, where it has brought us, where it will take us. 
It, 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 is, it, is, it is bad to, to, to look back in our life and, and kind of look back and say, what have I done for the Lord? Instead of you looking back and saying, wow, look what the Lord has done. Our faith as parents, our faith as leaders, we can instill in our children a boldness. Either we will instill in our children a, a lack of boldness for the Lord, and if it's a lack of boldness for the Lord, then guess what? It will be a boldness for the world. They will pick up things in the world, and they will follow the boldness of someone else in the world that, that they can look to and say, that is exciting. But if we do not have the boldness of serving God in our life and making serving God with some kind of excitement, they will not have the boldness they need in order to make the decisions in their life that I want to serve God with my life. With this pandemic that has come up, we all could have our opinion of, of certain things, but I have noticed the boldness of my boys because they hear me and my wife talking about what we disagree with and what we don't like. And then in some cases, it's kind of like they, when they, we hear stories of what they say when they go to other places. It's like, boys, that kind of stuff you need to keep to yourself. <laughs> you don't need to be that bold, especially when you're not confronted with nobody. You're just walking around and you say things. It's like, no. So guess what your children will have? Your children will pick up a boldness, especially... What, what kind of boldness do you want your children to have? Do you want your children to have the boldness of the things that, the, that gets preached against, that gets taught against here at church, and then you go home and then you have preacher for lunch, and then they get a boldness for talking against the preacher. Boldness, well, the preacher said that, it don't matter. There was, I might have mentioned this before, there was a couple of teenagers that used to work on my bus route in, in Texas, and they, they were teenagers. Now they were grown up, grown up to be adults and, uh, and, and, living out, and living on their own. And I asked one of the young ladies, I said, so, but because I see, and I'm sure you see it, people graduate from school, move out of the house, and want nothing to do with church. And I asked her, I said, so, so what is it that you, your mom and dad taught you why you're still serving God? And so many of your friends in, in, uh, in the youth group has went away and not come back to church. And she said, because my parents backed the preacher. When the preacher said something, they didn't, they didn't make fun of it. They didn't say that's his opinion. They backed the preacher. He said, she said one time the preacher had a sermon and, it was, and, he, and, he had, and he mentioned Cinderella in the message. And she said, I went home and told mom, I said, mom, preacher said this was a bad movie. And she said, well, we need to get rid of it. She goes, no, but I like it. She goes, well, you heard what the preacher said. And she took it and she threw it in the trash. She, even if it cost them something, they gonna, they're going to back the preacher to put instill in their children the boldness to do what is right. It takes, sometimes it's boldness cost. It's going to cost us one way or another. And I'd rather it cost me something tangible instead of costing me my children. Yeah. 
My children are still living in my home. They're still under the authority of their parents, but they, they still can make, able to make wrong decisions. I don't have the secret, but I know I have the word of God. And I know, and you, and I know this, you, I, I say this all the time about church, church, church. It is important. You say, well, I could have church at home. That's not church. Right. What's the meaning of church? A called out assembly. I could have church in the mountains. Just you and who? You, how many people are coming up in the mountains to join you? That's not church. A church is a called out assembly. People coming out of the world, coming together, and fellowshipping to, uh, together. But we hear the story, have the story here about the disciples and, and Jesus feeding 5,000. Now, you gotta, uh, you got to imagine the disciples, they, seeing, they come to Jesus and say, what, and Jesus said, we need to feed these, uh, uh, these people. And he said, what is, what is a few loaves and a few fish among so many people? And Jesus said, bring them to me. Tell everybody to sit down. So he feeds, he takes the, the few, that, the little that he has, and he feeds 5,000. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the disciples? This ain't the first miracle the disciples seen. But everything Jesus has, had, did in the presence of the disciples was preparing them for the time that he would leave them. He, but we know that he doesn't leave us, does he? But he's going to leave them in far, as far as his presence is concerned, physically. So everything he does is leading them up to the point to where he is going to leave. So he's te- everything he teaches, and that's why he comes back and always says when something happens, oh, ye faithless generation. But after seeing 5,000 fed, now Jesus now tells them, I'm going to put you in the ship. I'm going to send you into the ship. But that, he, said that he says he constrains. Look at verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. That word constraint means to necessitate or to compel. So it's not, it wasn't something they were, it doesn't sound like something that they were wanting to do. It was something that Jesus had to almost compel them and kind of take them by the shoulder or by the, around the shoulder and say, look, this is what I need you to do. I need you to get in the ship and I need you to go to the other side. The Bible does not say what the purpose of him sending them over, but he said, I need you to go and get into this ship and go to the other side. Jesus did not, but Jesus did not suggest them to get in a ship. He compelled them to get in a ship and then go to the other side. These men that got in a ship, they were obeying Jesus Christ. We know what's going to happen, don't we? Because we read the story. But these disciples, they get in a ship, they don't know what's going to happen, but I believe Jesus knew what was going to take place. The Bible says that they rode for about 25 to 30 furlongs. It was about 50,000 to 18,000 feet that they made progress in. It was about little over 3,000 miles 
3,000 to 8,000, three miles to eight, nine miles, somewhere around in there. And so in verse 23, you look at verse 23, and it says, And when he had sent them the multitude away, he went into the mountains apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he came, he, he, was, he was there alone, and the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. So the eve- he was there evening. The Bible says he sent them away in the evening. And the evening is about 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. The second watch is about 9 to 12. Third watch is about 12 to 3. The fourth watch is about 3 to 6. So we see Jesus sending them away in the evening and then walking on the water about the fourth watch. The disciples were on the water for about 9 to 12 hours, it could be. That's a long time fighting to get to a destination that Jesus Christ sent them. Jesus, when he was walking on the water, they see Jesus and they thought it was a spirit, but Jesus says it as I. How often do we cry out to Jesus when we're in a predicament we don't know what to do? How often do we get on our knees and say, Lord, I need, I need an answer? Then they see, they see him walking on the water, but then Peter says this, Lord, if it is, if it is thee, bid me to come. Now, you think of a boat, but the Bible says it's a ship. A shipping, a, a fishing boat has got to be a little bit bigger than a two-man boat. But you think of getting out of a boat is pretty easy. You just kind of climb over the side. But a ship with carrying gear for, and nets and stuff for shipping has got to be a little bit higher off the water. So not only, even, even if it was six feet uh, from the water, that's still a ways to drop, isn't it? Not ten feet is a ways to drop. So yeah, it literally, picture him climbing out of the boat, getting onto the water. Can you imagine, to, or, or, or did he just jump out? Well, we know what happens when you jump out of water, don't you? So did, you know, like Brother Fievai said, you just start thinking of these things. If you start thinking about some of the stories, it's, imagine you was there, or if you was doing it, would he, did he just jump out, or did he climb out? But Jesus said, go ahead and come. What a day, though, this has already been. Jesus feeding 5,000, and then Jesus sending his disciples away in the water. They must be worn out just because of the fighting the waves. And now they see Peter walking on the water. Everything was okay, until Peter looked at the boisterous winds. When you're looking at someone, you got your focus on someone, everything out here is out of focus. And we know when, when kids are playing, there's only one thing that they're focused on here. They don't hear nothing. They don't see nothing. You could be screaming at them. They don't hear nothing. Because it's not in their focus. 
So Peter had to do something. To do walking, for walking on the water, walking to Jesus, and then to see the danger that was around him. The winds were already there when Peter got out of the boat. The waves were already high when Peter got out of the boat. The boisterous winds were strong. Boisterous just boisterous means strong and powerful. So everything that was going on was already there when G Peter got out of the boat, took his eyes off of Jesus. Everything was already going on around him. Is everything going on outside these walls? The world's still going on? Chaos in some places still going on? People making bad decisions? People hurting other people? It's still going on. But we need our focus on Jesus Christ. I want to point out to you five stages of our walk with Christ. Number one, the miracle of feeding 5,000, your salvation. Is not Jesus Christ the bread of life? Is not Jesus the water? Is not Jesus the light? So in our salvation, we, now re we are now filled, we are now enlightened, we are now emboldened, we are now secure. It is a shame that new believers are more excited about their salvation than old believers. We're more, we're more, they're more excited about going to church. They're more excited about reading the Bible. They're more excited about singing the songs uh, of praise than those that have been saved for years. Know they're saved. Know what the Bible says. But we're more focused on the things around us instead of focused on what our salvation brought us. Never forget the day you got saved. I don't remember the date, but I know who led me to Christ. I know where I was. I was in a church called Calvary Baptist Church off to the left over here, and Mrs. Servi, our teacher, took me and shared me the gospel, and that's where I got saved. The church is not Calvary Baptist no more, but I know where I was, and I know who led me to Christ. Never forget the day you got saved. I wasn't saved from a wicked past, but I was saved from a past. Because there's things that I have never done that I will never have done because I met Christ at a young age. But if you have gotten saved when you was older, praise God, it's all under the blood. Remember, remember your salvation. Remember the day you got saved. Number two, look at verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him and to the other side. Jesus constrained his disciples to get in the ship, which is his direction for your life. We don't know what's ahead. We, don't, we can't see the future. But we know he knows. And when he knows, then he knows the heartache that's already going to be there. He knows the success that can be there. He knows the, the, the victory that can be there. 
But who makes the decision of, this, uh, of success? The, the decision of the success is not whether you make it there standing up. It's that you make it there. Because the Bible says a righteous man falleth seven times and get it up and riseth again. We're going to fall. But how we get there, we're going to make it there. A man that is not righteous will, will stay down. Do you think Jesus, I already asked this question, do you think Jesus already knew what the disciples were going to face before they got into the ship? He knew they were going to struggle. How long was that struggle? Was it two miles in? Was it three miles in? Was it in the middle just right there and they didn't get any further? But that doesn't matter. The struggle was for a while. Jesus already knew that, that he was going to face struggle. They knew that, oh, because was it just one of them that faced it? Was it just two of them that faced it? So even when there's 12 of us facing and struggling in the same fight, Jesus already knew it. He knew there was going to be a health issue. He knew there was going to be a hospitalization. He knew you would have four boys. He knows what's going to happen. A victory will come when it is his direction. You know, you hear a lot of people, or you hear the world will, will say, follow your heart. I think there's a hot, whole lot of sorrow in following your heart. Because the Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? I said that to uh, uh, some uh, witnessing to a, 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 a man one time, and he was saying something about similar, the same thing, following your heart. And I said, well, the Bible, this is what the Bible says that. He goes, well, he goes, I don't believe that. How can your heart be, be wicked? Look at the things that go on in this world. The only one that can change a man's heart is Jesus Christ. And changing, Jesus changing your heart. That's why the Bible says that delight yourself in, in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You delight in the Lord and he'll give you a desire that you need that he wants you to have. Because my desire is to win the lottery. <laughs> I got to play it first, right? My desire is to go fishing. My desire to go hunting. I, I, I'm really hurt right now because there's a couple of friends in here that didn't, didn't invite me to go hunting. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus knew what was going to happen. But victory comes when it is his direction. We all have things in life we wish we could do different. Yeah. Even, if, even as me, as a, saved as a young, young boy, he said, well, Brother Kane, what did you do? Meet me outside by the bus for $5, I'll tell you. I had to think of something good, though. But, but Jesus, but everything, there's things in our life that I'm sure we wish we could have done different. We wish we would have done, made decisions different in, 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 uh, in our life. But God already knows the things we were going to face. He knows the heartaches we would face. He knows the difficulties we would face. When I was about 20 years old, I, I didn't leave my mom and dad's house until I was 27. 
My dad had this concept, as long as I could leave, uh, obey his rules, I could live in his house as long as I pleased, and rent was cheap. But I, was, I think I was about 20, I think I was about 24, 25. And I could remember wrestling with the Lord. And I knew the Lord wanted me to get into the ministry. But I enjoyed farming. I, I just loved farming. I loved to be out in the field and, and uh, working with my dad. And that's where I wanted to <clears throat> spend my life is, is on the farm with the family. And I can remember wrestling with the Lord that he wanted me to surrender to the ministry. What part of the ministry? I did not know. I just know I did not want to leave the farm. And I can remember a couple of different nights just wrestling, trying to get to sleep. And, it's, and I got to get up early in the morning to do my, uh, uh, the job that I, I'm always assigned to. And now it's about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and it's like, I need to get up. And how many of you have been there trying to sleep and can't get to sleep? Your mind, brain just won't shut down. Um, but it, it, was, it was the Lord saying, this is what I want. And I can remember struggling. That's not what I want, Lord. That's not what I want. But what is his direction for your life? As, a, as young people, you say, well, I don't know what God wants. That's fine. But you ought to want what the Lord wants. And if, you have an, if, you, if, if the Lord has ever did anything in your heart, Lord, he, he said, this is what I want you to do. Don't fight it. It would be almost like these disciples fighting. We'll, give, we'll do it this way. It would be almost like the disciples saying, might as well give up. Jesus sent me to the other side. I'm going to go back to Galilee because it's easier. Well, whether you face a battle, because everybody's going to face a battle. Either we will face the battle with Christ or we will face the battle without Christ. And I would rather face the battle with Christ. And I've even heard this. It doesn't matter if you are 80 years old. It would be best to surrender to the will of the Lord and not to surrender at all. Victory comes when you're in his direction. Number four, excuse me, number three. The contrary winds. Look at verse 24. In verse 24, but the ship now was in the midst of the sea tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. The contrary winds is loved ones and unbelievers opposing your love for your Savior. And if, you, if we've been saved any time at all, we have met people that will not understand why in the world will you, will you go to church. Why in the world will you go even Sunday night go to church? Why in the world do you take Wednesday nights when you're already tired and you don't feel like going to a, a church? You, you get up and go to church because of my love for my Savior. Well, what, is, what does church have to do with your Savior? Did not Jesus Christ die for the church? He gave us life. For the, there must be a reason for it then. Why would Jesus start a church and then say it's okay not to go. But the love 
for your Savior. Not only will you have unbelievers oppose you, some will even have loved ones oppose you. They'll even make fun of you. They will curse you. But even on top of that, opposers will, opposers will even come back with force with things they don't understand. So if you have somebody that opposes you, somebody that will strongly come against you, you just got to understand this. They don't understand why my love for my Savior is so great. If they understood what he did for you, they would understand why you want to serve him. They would understand why you go to church when you're tired. They would understand why you get up Sunday mornings and when you when on your day off of all days and go to church. There will be there, those that oppose you will also be believers. Don't understand why you serve God the way you do. Why do you give so much of your time to the church? Going Sunday mornings is okay. Yeah, Sunday mornings is okay, and so is, that means it's Sunday mornings okay. Sunday night's even better. And if Sunday night, Sunday night and Sunday morning is okay and even better, Wednesday night's even better. So if, if eating one taco's good, you might as well eat two tacos. And if two tacos is good, you might as well eat three tacos. Why stop there? Amen. So you have the miracle of the feeding of 5,000, which is your salvation. You have Jesus constraining the disciples, getting the ship, which is direction for your life. Then you have contrary winds, which believers and loved ones may oppose you. And then look at verse 28. Verse 28, Peter answered and said unto, him, said unto him, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come out onto the water. And he came. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to Jesus. The fourth one is the walking on the water, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What a time it is when you read your Bible and the Lord just speaks to you. You get a truth. And it's like, man, this, the love of God is just great. Or you get a truth that will help you, that, or an answer to a prayer that you've been praying for to help you in a situation or help you with some kind of conflict. But keep your relationship real. And in order to keep your relationship real, there needs to be things done in your relationship to be made real. Because who wants to be married without, to, to someone when your spouse, spouse does not talk to you? Who wants to be married to someone when their spouse does not acknowledge you? Is that a real marriage? We need to keep our relationship with Jesus Christ real. Your relationship will be as real as your a Christian life. How real is your Christian life? What do you do? What, what does the word Christian mean? I can be a better Baptist than I can be a Christian. I've said that, I, I said that to a uh, Mormon one time. 
It was like, Michael, how can you say that? Because to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. And it is not always to be Christ-like. But if your relationship is real, it will be easier to be Christ-like. Your relationship will be as real as your Christian walk. Because you, want to, you, you, want, you have a real relationship, guess what your walk will be? Your walk will reflect that. Here, here it comes again. How important is church? Did Jesus give his life for the church? How important is the gospel? How important is your church to you, to you personally? Do you support it? Do you support it? Not just financially. How about personally? How about in person? I think it's great to have it on, on YouTube. But you don't support your church. You, you hear that? Your church. You don't support your church unless you're here personally. You don't support your church unless you get involved personally. How do you get involved? I'm sure pastor has a lot of things he wants to accomplish. But in order for we to be that personal involvement, guess what needs to take place first? A real walk with Christ, a real relationship. Because we need, some, we need some people here that come to church that knows what their Bible says, knows what God wants from us, knows where we're heading in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The many, many problems is this, is that we come to church, but we're involved in something else while we're in church. We know the preacher's preaching, but we're not participating in the preaching. We're somewhere else. And then, then our children, guess what they are? They're somewhere else. And when they get old enough to where they don't need to come, they're old enough, they're not under your authority, guess what they do? They're somewhere else. They're not in church. Our personal walk, where would our experience take us? Our experience with Jesus Christ, number one, will bring us salvation. Number two, it will bring us to a, direction, a destination, a direction. Number three, it will also bring us to a place where there is contrary winds. Number four, it will take us to a walking on water. And then number five, the boisterous winds. Look at verse 30. But when he saw the winds boisterous, he was afraid... And, being, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. The boisterous winds is the devil's strategy to remove the focus off of Christ and onto something else. Focus off of Christ to my woes. Off of Christ to the things of this world. Off of Christ to entertainment. This world is so entertainment-oriented. Yeah. All they think about is, what can I do next? Where can I go next? What can I 
get involved with next. It's not involved with what is a spiritual uh, uh, aspect and activity. It's involved in a worldly activity. Keeping your focus on Christ. Well, let me ask you this question. Where's your focus? You might be here in church. But where's your focus? I can't wait for that preacher to shut up so I can get going. And What restaurant do you have in mind? I need to go get a, I need to get a five gallon of ice cream tonight. Talk, talking about ice cream and tacos. Does that go good together? Come into Brother Chuck's house. Keep your focus on Christ. Everything that is outside the view is not in focus. Peter's focus was on Jesus Christ when he was, when he asked to come out on the water. Our focus is on Jesus Christ when he said, Jesus, we want to be used. I want to be used by you. Jesus, I want you to lead my family. Jesus, I want you to protect my children. Jesus, I want you to, to guide this family into serving you. But what causes Jesus to come out of focus is when we start looking somewhere else. Everything outside our view is not focused until you turn your eyes away from Christ. Salvation brings victory. Salvation brings understanding. Salvation brings a relationship. Salvation brings a focus. Where's your focus? I'm going to read a little bit more because my, I thought of something, if I could find it here again. Look at verse 32. And when they were come into the ship, the winds ceased. And when they were in the ship, the ship came into the, and they worshiped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came unto the land of Gennesaret, and when the men of that place had known of him, they sent unto him a country around about and brought unto him all that were diseased. This ain't the first time Jesus came to this place. But in that struggle, in that struggle, that the 12 disciples were facing to get to the other side, there was people waiting for them. But when they saw Jesus, they brought everybody else that they knew that had a problem, and they came to Jesus. In our struggle, in the direction that God has us to go, if we give up, how many will not see Christ because in the direction that God put us in, we decided to come short. Keep your relationship real. And then your destination doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it means you have a, your focus is right. You look at verse 32. And when, and when they were come into the ship, what happened? The winds ceased. 
take our focus off of Christ, does that mean the boisterous winds go away? But when our focus is kept on Christ, Peter got out of the boat knowing the boisterous winds were there. Didn't realize the winds and everything around him until he took his eyes off of Christ. And then when Jesus got into the ship, everything ceased. And all it took is one man to step out of the ship. But all 12 saw the wind ceased when Christ was back in focus. Also, I got this too. The Bible says when, G when Peter was sinking, what did Jesus do? He stretched out his hand. So you know how close Jesus was? When Peter got his eyes off of him, it wasn't a distance. It was able to reach and touch. The devil's strategy is to take our boldness that we have for Christ and diminish it while our focus gets off Christ and then our children get emboldened with the things of this world. What kind of experience are you going to experience with your walk with Christ? You have no excuse. Just because your parents don't have that boldness or don't go to church or don't read the Bible like they should, you young people have no excuse. You can make the decision today to continue reading your Bible, continue to love the Lord, whether your parents around you decide not to. So if my boys decide not to serve the Lord, it's their fault. If I decide not to serve the Lord, it's my fault. What kind of experience will you walk with Christ? If you're waiting for your mom and dad to give you that experience, you will never have it. You will never have it. Because your relationship is your relationship. My relationship is my relationship. You got salvation. And then, God's, and, then, and then the constraining into this ship, getting into the ship, your direction for your life, contrary winds of those that oppose you, your walk on the water, your personal relationship with Christ, the boisterous winds, they will, all these things will either help you strengthen you or they'll destroy you. Experience, what kind of experience will you have walking with Christ? And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father, for the word of God. We thank you, Father, for the stories in the Bible that you Allow us to have a little part in a sneak peek. How you were training and teaching your disciples. How to face things after he was gone and went to heaven. Lord, may our relationship with you 
not be hindered by the things of this world. To, to help us, Lord, to, have our, to remind us that our focus needs to stay on you. Not be redirected, not be somewhere else. I pray, Father, that you would help each and every one of us, especially our young people, to realize that focus is important. The one that died for us, the one that rose for us, and the one that lives for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd bless. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. As the piano plays, you stand to your feet and work as the Lord has worked in your life.